You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Schenk of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now for pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able. He calls you now. Each one of us is God's child. We are His special object of His love and thoughts and care. Think of that. You're a child of God. You are special to Him. And you're the object of His thoughts and His care. But there's someone else who might know your name. Someone else who might know your name. The devil. And I contend that if you're in Christ and you've been born again by the Spirit, then the devil knows exactly who you are. You see, we have an adversary. Have you ever considered just who it is the devil decides to attack? Pastor Dave asserts today that those who know Jesus, who desire to serve him, elicit the attention of the devil. The enemy wants to keep a close eye on those serving the Lord because he does not want God to receive it's glory. It's truly well, amazing. Well, let's join Pastor Dave in the book of Acts, chapter 19, How verse 13, with part in one of our message entitled, Does the Devil impact. Know Your Name? Take, for example, when somebody remembers your name, somebody who might be important, somebody who you might admire, when they see you, they look at you and they go, hey, Dave, how are you? It's good to see you again. Well, I don't know about you, but when that happens to me, I feel affirmed. I feel good. Like, wow, they remembered my name. That was pretty cool. Whether... Someone remembers your name. When they remember your name, whether it strokes your ego or awakens some sort of personal pride, whatever the case, you can't deny it. It feels good. You can't deny that. I mean, isn't that why everyone goes to some place where everyone knows your name? Everyone likes their name to be remembered. One thing that really makes me smile is when I met someone for only once, and I go back and I see them again, and they remember my name. It just makes me smile, and it makes me feel good. We all like to be known by our name. We all like to be known of who we are. Did you know that your Heavenly Father knows your name? Did you know that your Heavenly Father knows your name? Many scriptures speak of this. Listen to what the Lord told Israel in Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Likewise, we know that he knows our names as well. We know from Scripture that the Lord knows our name. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I call my sheep, and the sheep know me, and they follow my voice. We follow him. We know him. He knows us. And I really thought about the Father knowing my name when I first got saved really never came upon me. I never really dwelt on that. But one summer after I was first saved, B and I attended Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusade in Philadelphia at the Old Spectrum. And as usual, before the message, there's music entertainment. And they're usually very popular Christian artists who come and entertain. It's a wonderful time. This one group in particular stood out to me. And they performed all three nights of the crusade. 
It was pretty cool. It's two brothers and a friend from Canada. You may have heard of them, the cry. To this day, they're one of my most favorite groups. I didn't see anybody shake their head. You mean you don't know who the cry is? Oh my gosh. I love them. They're great. Anyhow, after Greg shared the message and, and gave the invitation to accept the Lord, the group began to play a song that even to today touches my heart when I hear it, and I still hear it from now and then. It's a very, very simple song, simple lyrics, but it's powerful in its statement. The name of the song is He Knows My Name, and it was written by Tommy Walker. I don't know if you've heard it, but I'd like to read it to you. I will not sing it. I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. Simple but beautiful. And they did such a great job. But just as every mother knows the name of her child, the Lord knows each of us by name. J.R. Miller said, that's great comfort in this teaching. We're not lost in a crowd. Each one of us is God's child. We are his special object of his love and thoughts and care. Think of that. If you're a child of God, you are special to him. And you're the object of his thoughts and his care. But there's someone else who might know your name. Someone else who might know your name, the devil. And I contend that if you're in Christ and you've been born again by the Spirit, then the devil knows exactly who you are. You see, we have an adversary. And we are warned to be ever watchful for him. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So I must ask you, does the devil know your name? It might be a disturbing question to some of you, but it's one worth considering. I'm sure when I ask that question, you might even shudder because nobody wants to have or invite the attention of Satan onto their lives. But when you become a child of God, you get an enemy. It's baggage. And that enemy is real. So does the devil know your name? As one commentator put it this way, when we consecrate our lives to God and live that way, we become a threat to the devil. Whether you like it or not, we are all players in a great controversy between good and evil. By publicly announcing our faith in Christ, our names are proclaimed in all the universe. It says in Luke 12, 8, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. Jesus is speaking. On the other hand, when we deny Christ by our words and our behavior, the devil cheers and the angels hang their head in despair. Scripture says in 12.9, he who denies me, Jesus, before men will be denied before the angels of God. Have you confessed Jesus before men? Then the devil knows your name. Scripture tells us that Satan knew Jesus. Satan knew who Jesus was. When Jesus walked the earth, his reputation grew and grew and grew. And as I was writing this, I read that many had heard his name and many had seen him and many even had encounters with him. And as I was writing this, I couldn't help. Someone like little Zacchaeus. Can you imagine the look on Zacchaeus' face when he was up in that tree and Jesus just stopped by and called him by name? Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house today. Can you imagine the look on his face? 
Jesus' name had become a household word, and he was known by many, especially the demons and Satan. I mean, after his baptism, Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit, where he was tempted by Satan himself. Three times, Satan called him and said to him, if you are the Son of God. Jesus knew exactly who he was. After each question, Jesus rebuked Satan with the word of God. It is written, he said. Then finally, the last time he said, away with you, Satan. Jesus has authority over Satan. Wherever Jesus went throughout his early ministry, the demons that he encountered always knew who he was. In Mark's gospel, in chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, it says, There was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What are we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Another time we learn, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Mark 1.34. Now, of course, our God is omniscient. This means he knows all things. He knows even more than our names. He knows the number of very hairs on our head. The devil, on the other hand, is not all-knowing. However, he is acquainted with those people he regards as a threat. Those that have a godly reputation. Those that have godly conduct. And those that have a faith in Jesus Christ. A perfect example of this would be Job. Scripture says in Job 1.8, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? The devil responded that he was well acquainted with Job. You can be sure that the devil knew others as well. We read in Jude that the archangel had to fight for the body of Moses, and he had to fight Satan for the body. It says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. I'm sure that Satan knew Noah. I'm sure that Satan knew Daniel. I'm sure that Satan knew David as well as many others in the Old Testament and the New Testament saints as well. Mighty men, mighty women used in God in mighty ways, ways that would come against Satan and his work. Has Satan come against you? Have you felt him tempting you, tormenting you? Maybe he doesn't know you. In today's text, we see that these enemies of God knew who the apostle Paul was. As we begin in verse 13, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Some texts say, we adjure you, meaning to swear or to charge by. To exercise is to compel or to command. You know, it's an oath which is to be found at the etymological heart of exercise. The term goes back to the Greek, and it's the Greek word exorcism, meaning to swear or to take an oath or to conjure or to exercise. Exorcism in term is formed from the prefix ex, which means thoroughly, and horkism, which means is to make one swear, administer an oath to. And it's derived from the word horkos, which means oath. Our word for exercise, as we know it, is first recorded in English in a work composed possibly at the beginning of the 15th century. 
and uses this word exercise to conjure up spirits rather than to drive them out. But exorcism was quite popular during the first century. Josephus records exorcisms that were performed by administering poisonous root extracts and others making sacrifices. Even the Dead Sea Scrolls mention that exorcisms were done by the Essene branch of Judaism. So exorcism is not something new that we just invented, that the Catholic Church has a market on. No, exorcism is being done for a long time, and that's what they were doing down back in this day. Why did these itinerant Jews take it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus during these exorcisms? Why would they do that? Remember last week in verses 11 and 12? Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. These itinerant Jews, some of your translations might call them vagabonds, they went around exercising demons from people and they charged them a fee for it. They were making a living. They were getting paid for these exorcisms. I came across this quote about these very people from Matthew Henry. Listen to this, quote, They were Jews, but vagabond Jews. They were of Jewish nation and religion, but went about from town to town to get money by conjuring. They strolled about to tell people their fortunes and pretended by spells and charms to cure diseases and to bring people to themselves that were melancholy or distracted. They called themselves exorcists because in doing their tricks, they used forms of adjuration by such and such commanding names. The superstitious Jews, to put a reputation upon these magic arts, wickedly attributed the invention of them to Solomon. So you see, these vagabonds, they looked and saw what Paul was doing. They saw what his sweatbands were accomplishing. Hey, we can make a quick buck here. We can do this. They saw that Paul's way worked and that Paul's way was easier. And they saw that Paul's way was even more powerful. They thought this would be a formula for cash. But there was a problem. There's a problem with this formula. They didn't know who Jesus was in a personal way. They had no relationship with him. He was not their Messiah. He was not their Savior. They had not accepted his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. They didn't believe on the resurrection from the dead and his resurrection. Their knowledge of Jesus was superficial. They just saw the results and the miracles being done through the sweatbands coming from Paul's head. They knew Paul preached this Jesus, and they knew that miracles were a viable part of Jesus' ministry. I mean, what they did was they just put two and two together and saw dollar signs. No way to make a quick buck. Unfortunately, we have people today trying to come up with the same type of formula. They come up with a formula for Jesus. They place him in this box, and they try to get financial gain from it. They profit off of Jesus' name, and many of these so-called preachers don't even have a relationship with Jesus themselves. They're just exploiting others for personal gain. They're exploiting those who are desperate and those who are seeking a miracle. They exploit them. These miracle workers name the name of Christ, but they do not depart from their own sin. Their iniquity is still upon them. They need to be extremely careful because God is not mocked. 
God is not mocked. And when they prostitute the name of Jesus for their own personal gain, they will stand to be subject to the same temptations and the same terrors, and these will eventually overcome them. And that's what we see happening today in our scriptures. In verses 14 and 15, it says, Also, there were seven sons of Sivka, a Jewish priest, who did so. They were conjuring up and saying, We command you, Spirit, to come out in the name of this Jesus that Paul preaches. We're not told what the Sifka was a chief priest of. There was no high priest in Jerusalem by this name, but some scholars note that it's not uncommon for some of the members of the Zadokite clan to take on an unofficial high priestly role. This may explain who this person is. More than likely, he was just one of these vagabond priests going around exercising for profit. But his sons were calling out demons from people in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. You might be confused about who these people were. Well, you're not alone on this. Let's look at verse 15. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I love this. This is, this is probably one of my many favorite verses in the Bible because I just love this. Who are you? The demon says. This is an interesting usage of the Greek word to know. Very interesting usage here. We see two different forms of the verb to know. Jesus, I know, he says. That's the word gnosko. That means to know absolutely. Like we stated earlier, Jesus is well known by Satan and his demons. They absolutely knew who he was and who he is, and they've even called him the son of the most high God. You can read in Luke 8.28 and Mark 5.7 almost the exact words. This demon, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to you with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So this verb means to know absolutely. The spirits knew absolutely who Jesus was. The other usage here, when they said, Paul I know, is a word in the Greek, it's called epistamihi. It means to know or comprehend by association. In other words, the spirits knew of Paul because of his association with Jesus. That's how come the spirits knew who he was. The spirit was acquainted with Paul because Paul belonged to Jesus. They knew that Jesus had given Paul the authority to cast out demons in his name. Paul was one of Jesus's, but they didn't know the sons of Sifka. Uh-oh. What happens next is a clear statement to me that the Lord has a sense of humor. Dr. Luke has a sense of humor too, and he likes to add a little levity to stories because he records this perfectly for us in this bizarre incident. It's one of the most bizarre incidents in Scripture. Look at 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These guys were trying to make a fast buck off the name of Jesus. The Spirit leaps on them. The Spirit beats the snot out of them, tears their clothes, rips their clothes off, and they run away nude and hurting and wounded. Can you imagine standing there talking to someone and all of a sudden these seven guys run by naked and they're yelling and screaming and hollering and they're all beat up and bloodied? What a sight. You can come against the devil you want in your own strength. Go ahead, be my guest but it will be very disastrous for you. It can leave you naked and hurting. You know, Satan is a lion. We're told he's a lion. 
He's an adversary. He roars like a lion. But he's been disarmed, and he's been made a spectacle of at the cross of Jesus Christ. He has been completely disarmed, and he has been made a spectacle of at the cross of Jesus Christ. You can find that in Colossians 2.15. But the sound of his roar and his deceptive lies are still very potent. And he does have the power to devour souls and rob Christians of their effectiveness. And we need to be very careful of. Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is our adversary. You may hear many people say to you, just rebuke him. Just rebuke him and leave you alone. Where in Scripture does it say that we're supposed to rebuke Satan? I mean, Michael, the archangel, didn't rebuke him when he fought with him. What did Michael, the archangel, say? The Lord rebuke you. Not I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. What does Scripture say we're supposed to do when Satan comes around? Well, Peter says we're supposed to resist. We're supposed to be steadfast in our faith, and we're supposed to resist the devil and flee, the Scripture says. The secret of spiritual warfare is simple. Steadfast resistance. As we're steadfast in our faith, we resist the devil's lies and his threats and his intimidation. Listen to what David Guzik says. Significantly, Peter doesn't tell us to cast out demons. He simply challenges individual Christians to deal with Satan as a conquered foe who can and must be personally resisted. Remember, he is conquered. He is conquered. The only power he has is the power that you give him. He is a conquered foe. The word resist in the Greek means two things, stand and against. Peter tells us to stand against the devil's wiles. You know, Satan can be sent scurrying with his tail between his legs by the lowest of Christian who is standing firm in their faith. You don't have to be a mighty, mighty man of valor. You have to have some faith. If a believer comes in the authority of Jesus, that what Jesus did on the cross, and what did Jesus do on the cross? What was Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. That's our battle cry when it comes to Satan. It's our battle cry. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. Satan's been defeated. Satan thought he won a great victory with these sons of Sevica by sending them away naked and hurting. He thought he won a great time. He said, woo, he was probably all happy with himself. And these spirits were probably rejoicing because they showed the world. We're going to show you. We can take care of you. But the Lord prevailed. Look what happens in verses 17 and 19. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Look at the results. Not quite what Satan had planned. A revival takes place. And what a revival it is. The first thing you see is great fear. Great fear upon it. This wasn't a shaking, quaking, although it may have been. They were in reverent fear of the Lord. They were in reverent fear of what was going on. And this reverent fear led to the next thing. They magnified the Lord's name. There's much more Pastor Dave would like to share with you, but we've run out of time for today. This has been another edition of Cape Watch Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. Pastor Dave will continue teaching verse by verse through the book of Acts next time. You can order today's message for free 
by emailing us at info at capewatchradio.com. Sometimes it's just easier to call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 609-884-5821. You can learn more about Cape Watch Radio, Calvary Chapel Cape May, and Pastor Dave at our website, www.capewatchradio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at capewatchradio.com. That's www.capewatchradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. You can also subscribe to the Cape Watch Radio podcast. Subscribing is easy. Log on to capewatchradio.com. Click on the subscribe button or simply search for Cape Watch Radio in the iTunes store. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Cape Watch Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Cape Watch Radio.